Hello, Humphrey Littleton here, bringing you news of an exciting new documentary this Christmas, which promises to be a lot of fun for all fans of Mornington Crescent, both novices and more seasoned players of the game. This is not just Humphrey Littleton. This is premium matured, quality assured, Eton and Grenadier Guards grown, jazz given, fast living, cool fizzin' Humphrey Littleton. Its contributors include the I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue team, plus Anthony Warrell Thompson, Sir Michael Gambon, and Dame Judy Dench. And this is not just comedy, this is Radio 4 comedy. That's In Search of Mornington Crescent with Andrew Marr this Christmas Eve at 11 a.m. Now, in the time honored fashion after the trailer, the main feature. We present I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue, the antidote to panel games. At the piano is Colin Sell, and your chairman is Humphrey Littleton. Hello and welcome to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. You join us this week at the Harrogate International Centre, which has in the past played host to the annual conference of the Liberal Democrats, the party which is so ably led by Charles Kennedy. <laughs> Hang on, I'd better just do a retake for anyone listening to the repeat. <laughs> yes, we all remember where we were when we first heard the news that Kennedy's character had been assassinated. The spa town of Harrogate first became famous for the health-giving properties of its sulphur and iron-rich waters. Still operating in the Royal Bathhouse is its original Turkish bath and Vichy shower jet room, although the latter had to be closed during the war as the water kept changing sides. <laughs> In the early 19th century, Harrogate quickly became popular with the royal family, and as it was then the fashion to copy the habits of royalty, the town was soon overrun with visitors who came here to marry their cousins. <laughs> there are also local connections with Admiral Lord Nelson, whose chaplain gave up the sea to become a vicar here. Interest in the Reverend Dr. Alexander Scott was revived recently when his family sold some furniture, which historians realized had come from Nelson's flagship when they spotted a small ad that read, For sale, one armchair. <laughs> the, town, the town has a significant American population who staffed the top-secret monitoring station at Menwith Hill. This has resulted in Harrogate's unusual traffic system, where the Americans drive on the right, the British drive on the left, <laughs> and the 4x4s drive anywhere they bloody well like. <laughs> purely, purely in a spirit of fun, Harrogate keeps up a medieval tradition of appointing an official village idiot. Every, every New Year's Day, he's paraded through the town on a horse-drawn cart, while locals try to touch his hem for luck and the Americans tried to vote him in as president. <laughs> in 1926, mystery surrounded Agatha Christie, who was discovered staying at a hotel here 11 days after disappearing from her home. She'd become distressed after learning her husband had got a young woman pregnant, although in his defense he claimed it was the policeman who did it. <laughs> 
Agatha Christie was, of course, famous for writing thrilling mysteries featuring characters hoping to get away with murder. <laughs> Let's meet four more. They are on my left, Barry Cryer and Graham Garden. And on my right, Tim Brooke Taylor and Sandy Toxvig. And, and eager as ever to monitor the team's points as they grow. Please, <laughs> please welcome our delightful scorer, Samantha. Okay, let's get off the mark with a round of Uxbridge English Dictionary. Meanings are constantly changing, and I'd like the teams to share with us any new definitions they may have spotted. Barry, would you care to start, please? Tailback. Post-operative Manx cat. <laughs> Tim? Quest. The Jonathan Ross family coat of arms. Graham? <laughs> uh, pepper pot. A pot belonging to one who stutters. <laughs> Sandy. Extractor fan. Former lover of agricultural equipment. <laughs> Ponderous. Shop that sells ponds. <laughs> Laplander. A clumsy private dancer. <laughs> Reincarnation. Born again as a tin of condensed milk. <laughs> sea lion, an implement for pressing seals. <laughs> Pea soup, worrying medical condition. <laughs> Peanut butter. <laughs> Even more worrying. Cuticle. Sexual harassment at the post office. <laughs> Genteel. Chivalrous fish. Flemish. Rather like snot. I wish I had. <laughs> Morass. Putting on weight. Toxvig, a clock cosy. <laughs> Transcendental, cross-dressing dentist. See also Tooth Fairy. Exceed, a plant. <laughs> Freebie, an unattached insect. Vigilant, an insect that stays up all night. <laughs> okay, the teams are going to sing for us now in the game called One Song to the Tune of Another. Probably the best way to think of a song is to imagine it as a nation. The tune is represented by the country itself, providing somewhere for the population or words to live. 
But population can change. Over time, different people or words come and go, subtly altering the national characteristic or the sound of the song. <laughs> now, I can sense the teams racing ahead of me here and thinking, isn't shifting people around the world a job for the CIA? <laughs> Yes, indeed it is. And as I can see, the team's bursting to ask, when these people arrive in their new country, doesn't the CIA have them greeted by some evil operator of an instrument of torture? <laughs> At the piano we have Colin Sell. Okay, Barry, we'll start with you. Would you please sing the words of Ilklimor Bartat? To the tune of Delilah. <laughs> Where has that been since I saw thee on Ilkla? Mobatat. Where has that been since I saw thee? Where has that been since I saw thee on There's been a courtship, Mary Jane. There's been a courtship, Mary Jane. There's been a courtship, Mary Jane. On Ilklamore, but that on Ilklamore, but that. On il clamor, on il clamor, Sandy, now, would you sing the words of Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers to the tune of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen? <laughs> Please sing the words of Bananas in Pajamas <laughs> in the TV show of the same name to the tune of the Chorus of the Hebrew Slaves. <laughs> bananas in Pajamas are coming down the stairs. Oh, 
Cause on Tuesdays they'll try to catch them on And finally, Graham, would you please sing the words of me and Mrs. Jones to the tune of Who Do You Think You Are Kidding, Mr. Hitler? <laughs> Mrs. Jones, we've got a thing going on. We both know that it's wrong. But it's much too strong to let it cool down now. We meet every day at the same cafe. 6.30, I know she'll be there. Holding hands, making all kinds of plans. While the jukebox plays our favourite song Me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones Corporal Jones and Mrs. Jones We've got a thing going on We both know that it's wrong Don't panic, don't panic Now, I can't help noticing the current popularity of a game called Pseudo-Q. <laughs> oh, my God, I've tried. <laughs> this is the game found in the National Dailies, where you have to fill in a grid with all the numbers from 1 to 9, except in The Guardian, where you fill in the numbers from 1 to F. <laughs> it seems Pseudo-Q will all but wipe out traditional newspaper games, such as the Telegraph's cryptic crossword, in which you have to solve such brain teasers as Erasmus enigmatically produces visceral calisthenic, 18 letters, to win a book token, or the sun's furry animal that meows, three letters. <laughs> first, letter, first letter C, last letter T, middle letter A. <laughs> which, if a sun reader gets it right, wins them a speedboat. But rather than pseudo-Q, the teams are going to play the original version known as Real-Q. Each player, each player has been given a copy of this familiar square grid consisting of seven squares, each divided into 11 smaller squares. Some of the squares already have numbers in them, as they didn't finish the game they started last time. <laughs> Barry, I'd like you to start by nominating a number and then identify which square you think it goes into. Uh, let me have a look first. Uh, top row, second, the end... Mm -hmm. Intersects that down row with four, seven, and nine in. I'll put a three in that square there. Yeah. Damn, it's got a snake. <laughs> oh, down I go. Bottom left. Bottom yeah. left. Bad luck. Jimmy. Sounds like yep. it. Oh, okay. Hang on. Um... <laughs> ah, I've got a six. So if that goes where Barry's just been but to the left, uh, he has to take his boxer shorts off. <laughs> Sorry. There's a snake down here, for God's sake. <laughs> that, that's what you tell all the girls. Uh, is it me? All hmm. uh, right, here we go. Ah. Ah, oh, right, that's excellent. I've got a hotel on that square. Um, 
So that'll be £200 from each of you. And um, there we go again. All oh, right, so the three goes in square B5. Whose was that? I think, I think that was my battleship, actually. <laughs> I think it must be my turn. Uh, uh, middle row has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and an eight, but it hasn't got a top hat. Um, that's me, so that's where I'll go. One, two, three, four. Community chest. Uh, congratulations, you are the father of twins. If they were your own, then you would have a double score, but sadly they aren't. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Cool. Number 11, I think. Mmm, these Tic Tacs are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Middle square, K9. Woof, woof. <laughs> K9, you get it now, don't we? K9. Right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down here. Uh, <laughs> and in here... Sorry. Um... <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to put up the slide for the mousetrap. That's ideal. Who's got the pack? Okay. Uh, Barry, apparently. Uh, my go. <laughs> my go. Uh, better out than in. Now, uh... Right, here we go, here we go. I accuse. <laughs> Number six in the library with the square root of minus one. The end. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't asleep, I was just resting my eyes. <laughs> in the next round, the teams are going to play a specially devised parlour game. As children, we often used to enjoy a game of battleships and became so skilled we even played international matches, once beating the German team in the European Under-15s Cup Final. What a glorious day that was at Scarpa Flow. <laughs> However, in another field, shame was brought upon our family when Grandmama was disqualified for cheating after she became All England Blinking Champion. Having not blinked for the entire three-hour tournament, the judges discovered she'd been in flagrant breach of the rules by dying in her chair just before it started. <laughs> in this round, the teams have devised a special Yorkshire version of I Spy, called appropriately a Yop Spy. <laughs> so teams, I'd like you to take turns to spy things commonly spotted in Yorkshire. And you can start, Tim. I spy with my little eye something beginning with T. Um, Tomato? No. It's Tipeiklet. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I thought you'd have got that. Yeah, I'd have thought. I spy with my little eyes something beginning with R. A uh, rabbit? No. Rabbit. Uh, rice? No. Um, ribbon? No, it's it's Grandad, as in our Grandad. <laughs> I spy with my little eye something beginning with I. Uh, ink. I. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I spotted him. I don't know. I saw him. You're going to be B. Um, um, blanket. Booger, if I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I spy with my life, something beginning with A. Uh, animal. Sort of. Aardvark. No. Ashtray. <laughs> sort of an ash. No, it's duck. Duck. Yeah. A up. <laughs> The thing is that I have to explain to you is I'm Danish. I have no idea why this is funny. Have a round of Danish, I spy. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, then. I spy with my little eyes. I'm beginning with H. Harriet. No, it's herring. It's Danish, I spy. That's all there is, pretty much. <laughs> I spy with my little eyes. I'm beginning with H. Herring. Correct. Thank you. <laughs> I spy with my little eye something beginning with T. Took herring? <laughs> no. Tortoise? No. Trunk? No. Toxfig? No. Toxfig, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, trouble? No. Tarantula? T next round. <laughs> yeah. You're all finished after that? I think we probably are, yes. yes. <laughs> I thought that question mark wasn't meant to be there. The next round... <laughs> the next round is called Notes and Queries, and it's where the teams respond to knotty problems posed by our listeners. But before we start, I have to correct some misunderstandings which crept in the last time we did this. In the item about the best way to deworm a Yorkshire Terrier... We advised that there was no need to pay a vet to insert the tablets, as you can easily use a blunt end of a barrow tube to push them up yourself. <laughs> we have to, to apologise to Mrs. Griffiths of Orpington. Hope she's now sitting more comfortably. <laughs> and suggest she listens out for handy hints on how to get the ink stains out of a surgical cushion. I have, to say, I have to say, Mrs. Griffiths, if you're listening, it was very difficult to read your letter of complaint. <laughs> okay, now I've brought along a selection of questions to which I'd like the teams to have a stab at providing answers. Graham, you can start. Why do many hotels fold the first piece of toilet paper in the bathroom into a little V? because it's too difficult to fold it into the letter Q. Well, according to the International Association of Holiday Inns, hotels want to give their guests the confidence that their bathroom has been cleaned since the last guest has used the room. A V in the loo paper is a clear sign that no one has used the lavatory since the room was last cleaned. No, it doesn't. It also it reassures you that some stranger has been fingering your toilet paper. <laughs> I don't wish to know about it. Just because they didn't use paper means nothing. <laughs> Sandy again, can you answer this? What is the origin of the nursery rhyme, Mary had a little lamb? Uh, Sellafield Maternity Ward. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is it was composed by Mrs. Sarah Hale of Boston after she'd been told of a case in which a pet lamb had followed its young owner to school. Barry, how about this one? When you wear a girdle, where does the fat go? 
The answer is it depends on the girdle. The old girdles, which had no give in them, used to send flesh creeping from. I don't think I can go on with this. You're excited now. Yeah. The old girdles, which had no give in them, used to send flesh creeping from under the elastic bands, usually under the bottom or above the waist. The modern girdle simply redistributes the fat to other body areas. <laughs> Tim, here's one for you. Why were duels always fought at dawn? Well, one of them had to get to work. <laughs> Logic. The answer is not all duels were fought at dawn. Oh, so why the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but most appear to have been. This is probably because fighting a duel at twilight could prove difficult, and also because there'd be less chance of interference from the law. And finally, Graham, what is the origin of the brassiere? Oh, that was invented so night watchmen could keep their hands warm. <laughs> Tell you what, all these answers I have to tell the audience, both at home and here in the theatre, uh, come from a real book, written by a sicko. <laughs> the answer is, it's believed to have been invented around 2500 BC on the Greek island of Crete, where the Minoan women wore an early ancestor of the modern bra. However, this item of clothing functions slightly differently to the bra of today. No, I'm going to write that again, read that again, because I don't... I don't I didn't write it, actually. Somebody else wrote it. And I'm, I'm very pedantic. Differently, too. You can't say that. Different says you can, but I don't. <laughs> it's However, like being present at the birth of speech, isn't it? <laughs> Would that we were, people would talk better. <laughs> However, this item of clothing functioned slightly differently from the bra of today in that it lifted the wearer's bare breasts entirely out of their garments. <laughs> well, I notice it's very nearly the end of the show, but there's just time to fit in a round of naturist songbook. <laughs> Samantha tells me she's off out now to see a builder friend. He's putting an expensive new roof on the local naturist's clubhouse where he has lifting gear installed on each end of 11 girders. Samantha says it's only at the very best naturist club you'll find a man equipped with 22 winches. <laughs> Graham, will you start, please? Hold it, flash, bang, wallop, what a disappointment. <laughs> Barry. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. <laughs> Tim. All right, everyone, in the all together now. Wah, he's a jolly big fellow. <laughs> Sandy. Ina Kleiner, naked music. Blue moon. <laughs> <laughs> I can see clearly now, you're Jewish. <laughs> Genital on my mind. <laughs> oh, that's a new ditty. Ah, yes. What is this thing called, love? <laughs> Always something bare to remind me. <laughs> you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. <laughs> what shall we do with a shrunken sailor? <laughs> Mr. Bow Dangles.
50 ways to lift your blubber. <laughs> and so, ladies and gentlemen, as the binge drinkers of time stagger from the pub of eternity before taking the controls of the jumbo jet of destiny, <laughs> I notice it's the end of the show. So from the team, Samantha, myself, and the fine folk of Harrogate, it's goodbye. Hi, Graham Garden, Sandy Coxvig and Tim Brooke Taylor have been given silly things to do by Humphrey Littleton with Colin Sowles hitting some of them to music. The programme consultant was Ian Pattinson and the producer was John Naismith.